I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Everybody. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Mind League podcast. I am Steve Saipa, and I am joined by a plethora of guests today. We have Ken Lavin, we have Lucas Vlahos, and we have Thomas Anderson. Hello. So our, basically our entire Mind League team. Yeah, we all, uh, somehow we're all, all of our schedules aligned for once, you know? Yeah. So... Before we um, get into this, uh, also, I, I did not prepare any promote extend trade because I'm pretty sick. But <laughs> before we uh, get into the meat and potatoes here this week, Thomas, since you are our newest member here, just give everybody uh, like we did last week. Just kind of introduce yourself real quick. Um. Well... Thanks for putting me on the spot because this is always <laughs> this is these things are always a little awkward at least for me. But um yeah, I've been writing at Amazing Avenue for a few years now and um I think I joined the minor league team last year. But um this is the first year like I did lists and stuff like that because I guess I put my big boy pants on and I decided to like try it out and it was fun. So here we are. I hope to make more appearances on this podcast because it's always a good one. So yeah. He's no longer a young lion. Now he is <laughs> he's a man. <laughs> and because he's here now we could make one hundred percent more wrestling references. Absolutely. Much to uh Ken and Lucas's dismay, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> one of the one of these days I need to like rest away control of promote extend trade and do like a some sort of video a series of video game related ones that will hopefully uh turn around that wrestling paradigm real fast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so this week we're going to be kind of previewing our 2020 top 25 prospect list. That is going to drop next week on January 1st because I like to do a new year, new list. And this week we're going to be talking a little bit about some of our personal sleepers, um, guys that didn't either just missed making the list or guys that we like a little bit more than um, other people. Um, 
Yes, but basically these are our guys that, you know, probably are kind of unheralded, probably might not know, kind of obscure guys like that, that we just kind of see something and maybe they'll kind of surprise people in 2020. So I'll get things started, I guess. Um, one of the sleepers that I have for next season is a guy named, I think we've talked about him a little bit in an episode or two ago when we were talking about some of the low end, oh, excuse me, not low end, but some of the younger uh, talent in the system at the bottom. And it, he's a guy named William Lugo, kid really named William Lugo. Um, he played in the GCL last season. Uh, he played in 43 games and he hit 158, 280, 219. Uh, he hit one home run, he stole a base, and he walked 21 times to 46 strikeouts. And the Mets signed him uh, in July 2018. And the money that they got from the Oakland Athletics when they traded um, Jerry Familia there was instrumental in signing him. Um, he signed for $475,000. So that kind of shows that they, uh, the Mets organization, you know, had him decently scouted um, and really liked what they saw and were willing to kind of go not necessarily balls to the wall with him, but that's a pretty big bonus for a guy that wasn't, you know, a July 2nd, um, you know, signing. But he's 6'3", 215 pounds, so he's, you know, solid, thick, very muscular. Um, he takes big hacks. Um, he swings with a lot of confidence, and when he hits the ball, he, he really puts a jolt into it. Uh, definitely has at least above average power right now. Maybe in the future he is able to get to plus power. Um, you know, he is 6'3", 215, so it isn't a guarantee that he's going to grow and add on um, more mass, but, you know, it's a possibility. And, you know, guys like that, they are, you know, especially younger guys like that. They're very aggressive, and Lugo is kind of aggressive. But what differentiates him, I think, from a lot of other young players that, you know, show uh, a, a lot of power at that age is that Lugo, he does have a pretty good eye and he is able to recognize spin and kind of lay, out of, lay off of bad pitches. And at, at, that's a pretty good skill to have at such a low level. Um... And he's a, he's a third baseman, um, but like I was saying before, if he adds on more muscle, yeah, it might help at the power department, but it might force him off a third um, if he loses a little bit more mobility. And he's probably, if if that is the case, he's probably a guy that's going to go straight to first and just kind of be stuck there. But if, he, if, if that does happen, he probably does have the power potential to stick at the position. So, you know, it's kind of a, a worst case scenario, but it's not, wouldn't be the end of the world if that is the case. So he's a guy I think is going to do a lot better than just the kind of, uh, crappy OPS that he posted last season. And he's also 17 in, you know, in the GCLs. Not, uh, not the worst 
yeah, he had a 499 OPS. So I think that he's going to do considerably better than that, most likely in Kingsport next year. And being 18 in Kingsport, that's you're you're on track. Yeah, that's pretty good. He's already probably the best piece they got for Familia. <laughs> yeah, my, my yeah. personal affection for Will Toffee aside. Probably, I was an under one of many underwhelming trades in the last couple of years. Oh, that trade was awful. Well, at least our, our, our latent cynicism about the international slot money they got was uh, perhaps a bit misplaced since they seem to have used it well. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that everybody pretty much figured, like, okay, well, they got the ability to use the money, but are they? Probably mm-hmm. not. But, I mean, if even if he doesn't pan out, at least, you know, they took a chance on a guy that has some tools. And that's really all you can ask for in the international rookie market. Yeah, you just kind of got to swing on that stuff and hope mm-hmm. that the rest of it figures itself out. All right, so who has another uh, sleeper who would like to go next? Make the new guy go first. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put him on the spot again. That's fine with me. My sleeper is a little bit different because it's more of a post-hype sleeper than a unheralded guy sleeper, but Luis Carpio is my sleeper for the 2020 season. Mostly because he actually came back from his injury. I, I'll give a little backstory in a minute, but I just wanted to give an introduction first. He actually came back from his injury, like, and played pretty well once he got promoted to double A. I mean, well, before he got promoted to double A, I should say. He played okay in double A, but once he w- when he was in high A, he was, he looked like he could, he was back kind of to what he was doing before, which is nice to see. So, for those of you who don't know, Luis Carpio was a rather highly touted prospect in, like, 2016. They signed him in, like, I think it was 20... I am... 2013, they signed 13. him yep. as an international free agent. Um, he's a smaller dude. He's six foot 165. He's a shortstop second baseman type. He doesn't have much power. But he was, like, an actual legitimate prospect. In, like a few years ago, before he tore his labrum, which kind of set him back because he only played a grand total of like 20 games in 2016 because he got hurt. Um, so he's kind of he's a what you expect from a six foot 165 shortstop type of hitter, where he doesn't hit for much power, but he doesn't strike out much. He walks a little bit. He He's really about just, like, putting the bat on the ball and trying to just get singles, really, right now because he's on the smaller side. But he's always had a pretty advanced approach, I would say. Like, he was able to, like... He he always felt, like, ahead of the curve a little bit because he was always on the younger side when he was playing. Like, he was one of the younger players in the league, if I remember correctly, when he was really breaking out in, like, 2015. So, like... He's an interesting person for me because he's only 22 and you don't like he's a, if he's able to return to what he was before and he, and at only being 22 it's not like he's a little bit older and this injury might have really set him back it's he's someone to really keep an eye on because like there's not a lot of talent at the top of the Mets farm system right now and he, he was in double A this year so and he played 82 games there, and he hit, like, 260. Uh, he had a 347 on base percentage and a 362 slugging, coming up from high A, where he hit 330, 
and he had almost a 400 on base percentage, and he slugged 430. So if he could hit well at Double A and hit well at Triple A, we might even see him this year if things break wrong and people get hurt, which is the Mets. So you know, that's a huge possibility, if not a probability. So I think it's someone where he's an interesting person to keep an eye on because the talent was always there. It was just derailed by injuries, and now it looks like it might be back. So I think that's why he's really interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, the only real thing that you could criticize about his 2019 season is that the power really wasn't there too much. Oh, yeah. But he did show a decent amount of power in 2018. He had 12 homers, 20 doubles. Um, he hit a, about 20 doubles last year, but the homers weren't there. But oh, yeah. he is he is able to do it. So if he can, you know, what did he slug last year? Combined with the two two teams, Binghamton and St. Louis, he slugged 380. If he could pick that up to about 420, which is, you know, 420, 430, which is what he did in St. Lucie, and keep, you know, a, a similar batting average in OBP, that's, you know, from a second baseman who can yeah. kind of spot um, shortstop, you know, here and then when when he needs to, that's a, a, a good, you know, second division kind of player slash spot uh, um, role player kind of dude. Exactly. Even if he ends up as a utility player, like you need that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's you very, are. it's very like fancy pants, Ruben Tejada. Yeah, I, yeah, I see yep. that 100. percent And that's fine. Like you could use that for like a few years. Yeah, you don't, you don't want Ruben Tejada starting, but in terms of a backup middle infielder, yeah, yeah. that's great because you save yourself 10 million dollars because you don't need to buy a backup middle infielder. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I also totally like, buy your explanation about the injury because shoulder injuries suck. Oh yes. yeah. So like, go ahead. No, labrum's just like from a purely medical standpoint are are a goddamn disaster. Uh, like it's totally reasonable to me that his prospect status never, like objectively his prospect status never should have changed because he struggled for a year or two after having shoulder surgery. Like Matt Kemp took what two and a half seasons to start really hitting again after he ripped up his shoulder. Yeah. Uh, Conforto had like a whole half season where he wasn't quite right. Like, it's not easy to come back from. Yeah. And it's, it's, it was always funny to me how he just totally fell off the face of the earth in terms of Mets prospects when like, there's not a lot of people to talk about anyway. So mm-hmm. like, like it's, it was always there. It's just that, like you said, that injury is brutal. So to come back from it and maybe even a year, another year removed from that, more of the power starts coming back even then. And, like we've said before, he's only 23. He will be only 23 next year, so there's time for him to like build on his power anyway. He's not a finished product by any means. So, who's even ahead of him? You also brought up the fact that he'll probably get major league time this year. Like, who's even ahead of him on the depth chart at this point? Oh, I have like <laughs> Louis Guillaume yeah, and yeah, whatever free agent dude they sign. Maybe. I yeah, mean, they got they just got rid of Haggerty. Yeah. I was going to say Haggerty right before, and I was like, wait, he got DFA'd. So, like, he might be, like, up way way earlier than people would expect because of how little depth there is, depending on what else they do for the rest of the year. Yeah, it's kind of frightening how little position player depth there is in the upper minors right now. Especially middle infields. Like, if Ahmed gets hurt, it's it's a damn near disaster. Uh, just... I'll, I'll throw McNeil there. It'll be fine. That's fair, but I don't know if the Mets will do that. No, they won't. I think that's what we would do. I don't know if the Mets would do that. Get ready for uh, 
I actually thought Jose Peraza would be a very Mets middle infield signing. Uh, yeah. Free agent list. Scroll, 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 scroll. Better start scouring the Indies. <laughs> Danny, I'd say a Danny Echeverria again if they hadn't burned that bridge. Uh, oh yeah, he hates them now. <laughs> understandably, Jordy Mercer. Sorry, my dog is my dog is scratching itself in the background. Uh, is uh, Jose Iglesias still a free agent? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't mind him. He's I probably, would just do that. He at least does one thing extremely well. But yeah. Is, is that you really already any have though? Yeah. I guess. And Iglesias is probably a better shortstop. Than yeah, I, I would say probably significantly. <laughs> also a significantly better hitter, I guess. Like, he was only, he was in an 84. He's a borderline, he's a borderline regular on the strength okay. of the defense. Yeah, I could go behind Jose Iglesias. I'd still rather they get a real backup catcher first, but yeah, let's bring oh, Jose no, Iglesias. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if Louis Carpio gets significant time this year, something has gone either very wrong or or very right, and no more between. probability on the first one. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, so we have William Lugo and Louis Carpio, and who is next? Um. I guess I could go. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, so I, I chose Cole Gordon, uh, 2019 draftee, I believe in the 39th, 32nd round, um, out of Mississippi State, where he was teammates with Jake Mangum. Um, Cole Gordon is a reliever. There, there's pretty much no hope that he's going to be a starter, but... He was relatively late to pitching. I think he took it over. He took <clears throat> took up pitching in his, his sophomore year of college. So he's only been pitching for like three years. And for a guy who's only been pitching for three years, I think he has very good feel for a curveball that just kind of dies as it gets to the plate. And um, basically, I think if you're going to bet on a guy to move not necessarily quickly, because he's already 24. He was a senior sign out of, out of uh, Mississippi State. But if a guy is going to sort of sneak up on, you know, the 40-man the roster and possibly kind of sneak into to service time this year, I think uh, a reliever with at least one good pitch is a good bet. So... Um, Gordon throws from, like, a high three-quarters slot... Uh, he doesn't have much velocity, but he's got a really, really nice curveball. So, yeah. I just think it's kind of funny, like his, I don't know how to put his origin story, I guess. It's just mm-hmm. like, literally, they were just like, man, we need you. Just get in that bullpen. And just <laughs> we we need warm bodies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he wasn't like terrible. I mean, he kind of was, no. but he struck in, in 55 innings, he struck out 59 guys, so... A guy who had never been a pitcher before literally had a caper nine over a caper. And like you get it because he can again he can really spin a breaking ball. Yeah. Um, I think you know if if I'm guessing where improvement will come from, I think he probably at now that he's a professional and working with you know professional coaches, I, I could see the command getting tighter. There's a lot to like here, you know. And as the the repeatability of the delivery gets better, maybe the fastball ticks up. Who knows? He did pretty um, well in Columbia, so yeah, that's and, about the kind yeah. of that's about the kind of mm, like talent level that he was facing. 
Yeah, that's either like right below the SEC or like right at, like right in line with it. But it just shows, I guess, that you know the, the the professional coaching or the professional players on the field, you know, did help him. So yep. hopefully that continues. And again, it's, it's a really pretty curve. <laughs> we, we've talked about how we love curveball aesthetics before. Just because it's such a nice pitch to watch. Um, it is kind of funny that he's gone from a college team that is desperate for warm bodies in the bullpen <laughs> to a major league organization that's <laughs> desperate for warm bodies in the bullpen. Uh, I wonder how he feels about that. I mean, it, it bodes well for his Yeah, chip, maybe, right? maybe he's happy. He's like, oh, hell yeah, I can keep this train rolling. I have no idea what I'm doing, but it's working out so far. <laughs> Apparently the Mets have like a Super Bowl time now, so. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Josh Miller's going to be good it. again, guys. <laughs> I, I'm very excited to watch Batanzas potentially spin beautiful curveballs that just take a right turn. <laughs> mm-hmm. This season, that that's, I mean, look, that bullpen works. It's really nice, but I mean, Donis there's as much variance as you could possibly yeah. have in a bullpen. Oh yeah, yep. Diaz might still be bad. Familia might still be cooked, and Batantis might pitch hurt for like two months and then actually tear his Achilles, and 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 so it goes. There's a particular Mets risk here. Uh huh. Very, it's extremely Mets. Classic Mets. All right, Lucas, what do you got? All right, so uh, my first sleeper was Scott Oda. Uh, he was a uh, another draft pick for 2019. He was their last uh, in the in the great spree of senior picks in the first ten rounds. He was the round ten pick uh, out of uh, so he's from California, but he went to University of Illinois in Chicago. So uh, not a huge program, uh, but he did put up huge numbers there, uh, just blasting blasting people around and uh, as a 22 year old he hit 356 451 791 with 19 home runs so uh, uh that's a pretty good line even though it's not a, a great conference and it's not a great great competition really what interests me about him is that from the limited video i've seen and and the little uh and and the few scouting reports i've read his swing mechanics are are not great um in that uh he has a hitch and, and, uh, there's, there's, uh, definitely some league lag in, in how he gets the bat to the zone and doesn't necessarily stay there that long, but it, it does do a good job of generating loft. Um, evidenced by the fact that he hit all those home runs, which is a record for the league at the time, and, and also managed to hit seven home runs for Kingsford in only 200 plate appearances or so. So, I'm not going to argue that that he's a potential star or even has that sort of upside because um, he's already limited to the corner outfield, really, uh, though he's fine there. He's got a good arm, got reasonable enough range. Um, but I'm interested to see what, what professional coaching can do with him, given that he's already putting up good peripheral numbers in terms of uh, walks and power, and he's not striking out too, too much. Um and perhaps if they actually fix that swing a little bit, you can you can tap you can maintain that power and and continue to limit the strikeouts going forward, and maybe you wind up with like a uh, I don't know like a Cole Calhoun ish player, but like forty percent of that as a bench bat, which is which is useful and and a nice get from like a tenth round senior sign pick. Um, 
really I'm just interested in him because of all the senior signed outfielders they got. He's the only one that really hit at all. Uh, like Man- Mangum didn't hit. Uh, uh, who was the other center fielder? Someone help me, please. Deplantis. Deplantis. Deplantis didn't hit. Now they were both uh, at Brooklyn, but I don't know. I, to me, to me, he's interesting just because he's the only one that that has really given me any hope that it, there's a major leaguer in there. Um, and I was willing to throw him like on the back end of the 25 because there's so little talent in this system. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. Um, he has, you know, maybe just one tool, but it's it's one of those kinds of things that either you have it or you don't. You can't really teach much power, and he does have a decent amount. I would say probably of all those senior guys, it's between him and um, Mangum. Mangum being, you know, a pretty solid uh, center fielder, so he has that kind of that that going for him, but. Him and Odo are definitely the two kind of more interesting ones. Man, I just have no faith in Mangum to hit at all. Yeah, I'm... Zero faith in that. I just... He doesn't have much power to begin with, and then his approach is just very old-school, college kind of oriented, Mm -hmm. you know, just whack doubles around. I feel like Mangum is the high-floor version of this player in that, you know... There's like a broader base of skills, and Oda is the like upside play version of like the senior sign. Yeah, if like if, if you're gonna bet on one tool, power like has by far the highest upside in my opinion. Um, versus there, there might be some hit tool in there. Really, like I'm not willing to totally count it out yet, especially if professional coaching can improve his his mechanics a little bit, which you know you would hope would happen, but. When I saw him last year, it was, it's kind of hard to judge because when you're seeing a, you know, not that he's like ancient or anything like that, anything like that, because they did sign some guys that were like, you know, 22, 23, 24, but. Yeah, he's he 22 was, already, yeah. Yeah, he was 22 by the time, <clears throat> excuse me. Actually, his birthday was the first day that I got down to Kingsport, but. He was, you know, 22 playing against, you know, some guys that are 17, 18, 19, and, and generally speaking, regardless of their age, are much rawer because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of them are coming from either high school or from the, the DSL. It's kind of hard to judge. And, Absolutely. You know, but he, he, I think he led the team in homers or he led the team in OPS, one of the two, or possibly both, but, yeah, it's like you're like Ken was saying. It's a, if it's a good tool to bet on as a lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to ever argue that. He, if anything, I, it's it's incredible if he gets like two seasons as a bench bat. I'd be happy with that outcome. Yeah, that's a really good outcome considering mm-hmm. where he the conference that he was from and when he was drafted and everything like that. That's really like. A very good possible, a very good outcome there. Mm-hmm. All right, um, let's take a break here, and when we get back, we will go over. Each of us will go over one more sleeper for 2020. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens. I'm Steve Seiper, and I'm joined by the entire minor league team. We have Lucas Lajos, we have Ken Laffin, and we have Thomas Anderson. And we went... Each we each picked a sleeper for the 2020 season, um, so we'll pick one more. Um, so the guy that I'm going to go with now is Nick McDonald, who is a reliever. Um, he pitched in Kingsport last. Well, he pitched all over the place actually, but most of his, his innings came in Kingsport. And then he also got um, one appearance each in Brooklyn and Columbia. He was signed. He was drafted last season. Um, he was. Uh, he's from Florida. He was recruited for from a bunch of colleges. He settled on Florida International, and in his three seasons there, because he was a junior, he posted a 4.19 ERA in 215 innings, uh, decent peripherals, a 3.2. Walk per nine rate and an 8.5 strikeout per nine rate. And that was as primarily a starting pitcher. Um, the Mets picked him the 23rd round of the draft. They signed him for, uh, 125,000, which is the maximum that, uh, a team can sign a guy in the 10th round or later and not having it count against their bonus pool. And they sent him to Kingsport. He posted a 3.20 ERA there in 19.2 innings, all as a reliever. And then he was promoted to um, Columbia, like I said, Columbia and Brooklyn, and one appearance out of both, so nothing much to uh, glean into there. But his fastball, it's mm, fringe average, I guess. It sits 91 to 92. Um, touches as high as 93, and I saw a dip as low as 89. But what kind of uh, fortifies it, I guess, is his arm slot. He throws from a really low three-quarters angle, almost uh, sidearm, very slingy, and it has a lot of uh, of arm side movement to it. And and he's able to command the pitch. You know, he hits all the spots, and then he complements the fastball with a curveball and a changeup. Um, he uses both of them pretty regularly. They both have, you know, two, two different purposes. Uh, the curveball, which is 11 to 5, it's basically his go-to pitch against left-handed hitters, and then his changeup, um, it, it's his primary weapon against right-handers. And they're both solid pitches. Um, I wouldn't say that anything that he throws is 
is above average. It's all pretty consistently average or so. But he just has a lot of um, deception because of the arm slot. Very similar to kind of, well, not very similar, but the effect that the deception has is very similar in how Stephen Valines kind of dominated despite having kind of subpar stuff. And I think that McDonald will not necessarily pitch his way into any top prospect lists next year, but I think that he'll kind of get recognized a bit more than he is. I think that being um, a late drafty um, in a year that the Mets kind of went completely um, to the senior well, he kind of gets forgotten and overlooked. The fact that he was used primarily as a reliever in Kingsport, where he was a little old, you know, he kind of gets overlooked. But I think that next year he, depending on, on his role also, because they could use him as a starting pitcher next year, who knows, and he either um, craps the bed and makes me look dumb, or maybe he does, you know, does do good and kind of people take note of him. But he was a kind of surprise when I went down to Kingsport last year. Um, he wasn't dominant necessarily in the games that he pitched, but the weird angle is what made me say, like, hey, who is this guy? And then the fact that he wasn't a complete junkable, or the fact that he was throwing pretty decent stuff made me say, hmm, okay. So he's a guy that I'm a little higher on than probably every single other person except maybe his mom and dad. Hmm. It's not it's not quite as funky as Valines, right? It's like a little bit more. No, it's a little bit more traditional. Also, something that that I noticed too is that he has a in his windup, he has a complete like over the head windup, which today's day and age, like I think you very rarely see pitchers. Do. Who's the That's last more... guy who did that? Uh... I don't know. He was a re- he was like a really mediocre slow pitch junk guy from the Pirates, and then I think he pitched for the Nationals for a little bit, Overholzer or something like that. I'm gonna look it up. But yeah, that's it's an aesthetic that you don't see much in pitching anymore. That's a more of a, a pre '90s, uh, a '90s and, and before thing. I th- I think it should come back. I like the over the head wind up. Makes me think of Hideo Nomo and <laughs> Young Hung Kim. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a. I, I do wonder if like having that much more movement distracts the hitter a little bit, or if it just gives them longer to pick up the ball. I don't actually know. Oh, I mean, it depends exactly what they're doing. With just pitching overhead, I don't think it really matters much. But then if you add like weird pauses and stuff, it could probably throw off their timing. That's not something that I noticed him doing, but I think I saw him three games, so it doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't do that. Go with the Johnny Cueto mixing <laughs> the back turn. How some of the stuff Johnny Cueto did and got away with, I have no clue. Like, some of it is just so bad looking. What the hell happened to Johnny? Is he still hurt? Uh, he came back last year, I think, at the okay. end of the, the end of the season, like yeah. September. I think he pitched a few games last year. Yeah. I mean, logically, it made, like, all, ultimately what you're trying to do is just throw off the hitter's pattern recognition, so I wonder why more pitchers don't try it. Maybe it just doesn't work. Maybe it's just, like, too, too ridiculous. It probably screws with them, too. I mean, yeah. if you're so muscle memory to just 
doing this one set of things and then all of a sudden you start adding some funk to it that your body is not necessarily used to. So yeah, basically, right. our pitches just seem to get more funky. Turn up the funk. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's Nick McDonald. Uh, <clears throat> Thomas, who do you got now? Um, my second person is Juan Yarate, who um, was signed out of Mexico in 2014 as an international free agent. Um, his last two years have not been – well, they have not been kind to him in a sense because in 2018 he had exactly one at-bat and he broke his leg fouling a ball off his uh, – he fouled a ball off his leg and he broke his leg. So he missed the entire season. And in 2019, when he came back, he came back and he played in Colombia and he was pretty much not good in 50 games. He had a slash 200, 238, and 297. Um, he's a catcher. He is a pretty good defensive catcher from what I understand. Um, to me, the biggest reason why he's exciting is because he was good in 2017 before he got hurt in Kingsport. He slashed 305, 372, and 455 um, at 19 years old in Kingsport. And to me, like the formula, the formula is pretty simple. When you have a catcher who has shown signs of doing something like that at really any level, it's so hard to find offensive catchers just like anywhere that they pique my interest no matter what. So he's someone that maybe getting a year further away from his broken leg maybe it strengthened a little bit maybe he was just like it's hard for a 20 21 year old kid to miss an entire season and then just go right back into the swing of things while also moving up a a level because he was at brooklyn when he broke his leg so he basically skipped that level and went right to columbia so like it's just he's going to be someone for me that's interesting to see if he reverts back if he could if he's able to find what he did well, at Kingsport, or if it was just a flash in the pan type of thing that, like, that was the only time he'll ever be good. But I think catcher is so rare and so hard to find that it's somewhat, that's, looking at someone like that is, I think people need to pique their interest for something like that. That's just me, though. Yeah, he was a guy I liked. Yeah, I remember you liking him. I remember you liking him. And I saw, A, I didn't understand why they didn't just send him back to Brooklyn, because... yeah. It was his age 21 season, which would have been, you know, appropriate. And why rush him? You know, we we know that catchers kind of have slow developmental roots to begin with. So why push the kid? And, you know, exactly like you said, they pushed him and he didn't really do that great. Well, that's that's an understatement, I guess. But um, he, he did not do well at all in Colombia. And when I saw him down there, it was kind of I was kind of disappointed um he did hit a home run and he only hit three the entire year so i was one of a few lucky people to witness one of his <laughs> few homers well he he's very much i think in the mold of ali sanchez um you know pretty solid defender the bat is kind of questionable whether or not it's ever going to come around and you know he'll, he'll kind of probably be like a backup dependent hitter because he's I don't think that there's too much power in there. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not saying he's going to be, like, an all-star or anything, but I just think that, like, right now the backup catcher on the Major League team is Tomas Nito. So, like, whenever there's catchers who even show a little bit of it, it always opens my eyes a little bit. 
and I think it's, it'll be interesting to see if he could ever, if that really was just something that maybe he is just a backup and here we are and it's, he wasn't really a person for me to, um, he wasn't really a person for us to like really hone in on, but you never know. Like it's, it's someone who had, like there was at least a little bit of something there. So especially when we're doing this with sleepers and it's, we're this far down the, the totem pole in the, in the prospect list and I find him pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, he could, he could, you know, just as likely as it is that he has another kind of poor season, he could also, you know, another year, um, you know, another year back from injury and now a little bit more used to full season ball, be like, oh, okay, this yeah, is exactly. how we do it. Exactly. For the system's sake, let's, let's hope so. Oh, geez, for sure. <laughs> that would be, that would be wonderful because it's, it's, it's real bad. Uh, the third catcher right now is Ali Sanchez. The fourth catcher is Patrick Mazaika. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he doesn't really do too much catching anymore, so. No, he doesn't. Not still pissed, still pissed they didn't take a shot on Cumberland in the Rule 5 draft. He would have fit nicely, but. Oh well. I mean, I guess I can't complain since they did actually make, like, some major league signings. That's true. I mean, look, just go sign Jason Castro, please, and I'll stop complaining about the catching <laughs> situation. Just, just do it. That's do something. All right. Um, who is next? Ken. Who do you have, Ken? Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Blaine McIntosh, um, an outfielder who spent all of 2019 uh, after he was drafted in the the 13th round of the draft this year. Uh, with the GCL Mets, and um, <clears throat> he was famously the uh, the player they signed out of a commitment to Vanderbilt um, after the the 10th round. And yeah, I think he's just both sort of like high risk, but also relatively high floor because he's just like a premium athlete. I think he'll make it to to Double A based on that alone. And if he hits it all, that's kind of a bonus. I, I feel like he's this season's Jalen Palmer, where yeah. um, he's going to kind of jump up prospect lists just being a premium athlete in a system devoid of premium athletes. <laughs> Palmer probably eh, – I guess maybe not – I would say, I might argue that Palmer has more upside. Oh, it's the same Definitely, on yeah. the, uh, the Mangum Oda scale. Sure. Yeah. Different. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's, um, Macintosh does kind of remind me actually a little bit of Mangum, um, in, in terms of like, they're very similar kind of athletes, um, body wise, their kind of approach at the plate, you know, just kind of line drive guys right now. Pretty good runners, pretty good outfielders, and like you said earlier, it's a, it's a solid floor and the kind of guy that you know will get to Double A just based on those skills. Whether or not the rest of the stuff comes around is what will determine his ultimate fate there. And I would argue um, it's better to have this present day set of skills uh, at 18 than you know what is Mangan. Mangum. 22? 23, I think. Yeah. With, with five years of bad swing habits designed for metal bats and college ball. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather have it, this profile in a, in a prep outfielder. 
Yeah. Yeah. You can mold uh, Macintosh a little more than you can Magnum. Mangum Mm -hmm. probably. It's just gonna be like he's 18. He's a kid. You could you could do more there, and there's more really upward mobility there probably. Agreed. And the fact that they're able to just get him at all is kind of. Oh yeah, I was shocked. Exciting. Mm-hmm. I was shocked. I didn't think they were going to sign him. And he yeah. was one of their. I don't know if he was their last or one of their last, but uh, you know, guys that signed in the draft. But it was very awesome, you know, to log onto Twitter and see that the Mets came to terms with him, because given the fact that he had a, a Vanderbilt um, commitment. And the fact that he was like the first kid from his school to ever have a commitment to a premium school like that. It was kind of like a four. And the fact that he's a pretty good athlete and everything that we were talking about before, it was kind of like a, a foregone conclusion. And then lo and behold, he signs with them. And yeah, he felt more like just the backup, the oh shit backup plan if they couldn't get Allen to sign or something, but it worked out. Yeah. Yep. And of course, his sister is an uh, American Idol girl. All right, we have to. We're like contractually obligated to <laughs> yeah. mention that. If he time. if he makes the big leagues, that's the the Kirk Newenheis played football uh, of that team. I was just going to bring up the fact that Kirk Newenheis played football in college. In case but, anyone but did not know, <laughs> Todd Frazier was on the field with Derek Jeter once. You know, like that that happened. He's also from Tom's River. Uh, Get out of town. I was in Monmouth County this, for Christmas, so I was basically next to Tom Sugar. Oh, another good thing about Thomas being here now is that finally we're split. No more Jersey people have the majority here. <laughs> I don't. I don't even consider myself a Jersey person. I was born in the city. So. I am oh. decidedly a Jersey person. Okay. Well, all right. Ken is the lone Jersey person then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was born in the city. I work in the city now. I screw New Jersey. Jersey okay. sucks. Well, that's good then. Allison is gonna, I'm gonna get an angry tweet from Allison now. <laughs> I maintain everywhere that's not New Jersey sucks, so. <laughs> well, overruled, sorry. Yep, yep. The council has voted. Uh, Lucas, I guess uh, I who's your, your final guy here? Yep, yep. Uh, and I imagine this is pretty predictable, both due to my inherent laziness and also stubbornness. Uh, so some comment for some Combination of those two factors, my second sleeper is once again Stephen Valines. I cannot get off the Valines hype train. I refuse to let it be derailed completely. Uh, and I, I was actually reading my the season preview I wrote, wrote for Valines last year. Uh, top ten, baby. I put him in my top ten. That was uh, aggressive. Aggressive. Let's put it that way. Um, and the results were not nearly as good this year, so he went from posting like absurd 14 to 1 or 10 to 2 or whatever, uh, strikeout to walk ratios to, to it being more like a 4 to 1 in double A, which is still quite good, and he was running a 1.2 ERA and a 2.73 fit, and then he just got bopped in triple A, like the strikeouts went away, the walks ticked up, the home runs were the real problem, um, is giving up 2.2 home runs for nine. Now I do wonder if this is a, if it was a Rafael Montero situation where it was just, I'm getting blasted, I need to nibble more, and then that leads to the excess walks and loss of strikeouts. 
Uh, I also think he was dealing with a couple minor nagging physical things this year. Um, so I don't know if, if that played a role. Uh, but, but like the double A stats were still fine. Uh, the triple A sample wasn't huge. It was only 16 innings. Like it's not, not a gigantic sample size yet. And the ball was super juiced. So, uh, I still think there's a chance like maybe he can, he, maybe he was tweaking things and things just didn't work out. Maybe he just needs to figure out what he was doing before 2019 to get back to those like video game level strikeout to walk numbers. And he's, he's a year removed from posting some of like the most absurd relief stats in the minors you'll ever see. So I'm not totally willing to give up on him just yet. Um, like I'd like to see him get another shot at AAA and see if he can, uh, uh, Figure out a way to make the funk work, uh, even at the highest levels of a higher level of the minors or or even in the major league bullpen. Yeah, the fact that he did so well in Binghamton gives me hope that he's not a complete bust or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, like the peripherals took a step back in Binghamton for sure, but it wasn't like it was a disaster. No, they were still, they were still good. If it was anybody else with those peripherals, we'd say, oh yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's only the fact that he had (laughs) such absurd numbers that, you know, it's, when you are able to put a 0.5 walk per nine rate and a 14.2 strikeout per nine rate in so, 18 innings, which is what he did in Brooklyn in 2017, when you can do those kinds of numbers, anything is going to look bad. So the uh, uh, looking at this one paragraph I wrote for his season preview last year, uh, he had a 40.3 strikeout minus walk rate in low A. Then 36.5, 24.7, and 34.9 as he moved up three levels. The one level where he dipped below 30% was in advanced A, where his ERA was 0. 0.41. Like, 0. 0.41? Yeah, that's not a typo. <laughs> I know, it's just so like, it's so funny every time I look it's, at his like. Like his stats from 2017 and 2018 were patently absurd, and, and I, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm not out on him yet. I want to. I want to give it another go. Oh yeah, I'm ready to be hurt again, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> well, if and it's one also thing the Mets are good at doing. It's hurting us. Oh yes, he's also fun because like you don't see that every day. Yeah, so. absolutely. Like I, I wrote about that in the season preview too, where it's like this is a these are like dominating numbers you expect from some super fireballer with a razor blade slider, and it's some um, rake thin. Not super tall dude who's throwing in the high 80s. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, more, more than likely, we need. go ahead. Uh, he's the every man that we need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all we all see ourselves reflected in Stephen Blinds. <laughs> all right. Well, um, anyone else have anything? Uh, any final words for this week? This system's not great. It's really no. Great. No. System's not great, and New Jersey sucks, basically. Yep. Is yep. What yep. we can... Boo! It's <laughs> 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 basically what we can take out of this episode today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, um, our list, our uh, January 1st, like I said. So we will be back next week. Um, 
to just kind of – we will be discussing that. And if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you could send us an email at our email address from complex at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seifer. Lucas is LVlahos343. And Ken is Ken1191. And Thomas, what is your Twitter? I need to add this in now to the script. My Twitter is at SadMetsSeason, S-A-D-M-E-T-S-S-Z-N. So true. Yep. It is. It's always yep. true. <laughs> it will be forever true if they, even if they win three World Series in a row. Now that actually uh, reminds me, uh, we we spoke about you last week, and we we had a hazing for you. Did you um, participate in your hazing? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were supposed to go back to the timeline of Rich Staff's Twitter history and read every single one of his tweets. Uh, no. Oh no, God. How many tweets is that? You lose a brain cell every time you read one of those tweets. It's, it's like six. It's sixty nine hundred tweets. Sixty nine thousand four hundred twenty. <laughs> <laughs> or, yep. or is it like forty four forty two thousand tweets and they're all sixty nine words exactly? <laughs> I, I have liked a fair bit of his tweets, if we're being honest. I mean. He he produces great hard hitting content, so all Mets fans should follow at staff. We did this staff. last week already, Ken. <laughs> I've done this bit like eleven times. <laughs> it's a <Yes>. good bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, um, we will be back next week, like I said, to go over our 2020 list. And until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.